associate with us a way to be restored. Thank you, Lord, that you never do things the way we expect, that you always do far more than we could ever hope to dare or dream. I ask that you would help us today to learn to trust you. I pray that we would learn today to be okay with your plan over our own. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, worship team. Thanks, slide team. No stress there, huh? All right. There you go. That's right. And while I'm at it, thanks, stream team. The stream team. I like it. I like the sound of it. The stream team. All right, that's good. Say what? Should I wave the people online? Everyone online, hi. I'm Michael. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. Or as I like to call it, Ornery Faith. But that's just me. All right. You don't know about that. Before I jump in today, I did want to mention one thing. Alicia Lloyd uh, represents and works with a group of um, educators in town called Classical Conversations. And so if you have any interest in pursuing that for your children uh, that kind of leans into a classical education, she's going to be back there talking about it. Well, just has some information if you're interested in that. So we're jumping into OK Christmas today. And we want to have a Christmas that you're okay with. I know you're like, no, I want an awesome Christmas. Well, good luck. Um, so we're, uh, we're looking at that. So today I, um, I, want to, I want to deal with the reality that God just doesn't do what we expect. God just doesn't do what we expect. He doesn't do things the way we expect. Um, we tell him our plans. And he does not follow our to-do list. It, it, it doesn't follow our calendar. He just, he doesn't do what we want. He is an absolutely uncontrollable God. <laughs> and what are we supposed to do about that, you know? And um, what we're going to do today is we're going to look into the, the Christmas story some and see how wonderful it is that God doesn't listen to us about our plans. Oh, he listens to our heart. He listens to our brokenness. He listens to our joys. But he has better ideas than we have. And he, he accomplishes things that go farther than we could ever hope. So I want to look at a miracle verse. A miracle verse in, in Matthew. And I'm going to read this verse to you. I want, to, I want you to think about what this verse means. And I'm going to show you the miracle in it that you're missing. And that's where we begin today, because this is, this is how God rolls. God does things that, are, that have this magnificent, shining, aha, over here, that the whole point of it is to highlight this little thing that we miss over here. And so in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Word of God says, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And what was that message? Verse 23 of Matthew, the miracle verse. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. There's the miracle verse. Now, what's the miracle? Now you look at this, because I don't even think the early Jews believed that the virgin birth would be a literal fulfillment. I think they thought that was symbolic. 
But it's funny. God is, God is hilarious, actually. He's always doing exactly what he said he was going to do, and we're always surprised. And so here you have this miracle in the verse. A virgin will conceive a child and give birth to a son. That is definitely a miracle. But there's a little thing in the verse that's the bigger miracle. But little things make big differences. Um, October 31st, 1517. Any of you guys remember that day? (laughs) This young Catholic monk had some issues with the idea that you could buy forgiveness. He wrote a little paper called that, that we call the 95 Thesis, but it had a much longer name because back then they put the entire book in the title. But that's, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> so, and he, uh, he went to the church of Wittenberg and he nailed the thesis to the door. It sounds really bold, but actually the church door was kind of like a bulletin board back then. So nailing stuff to the church door was a pretty common occurrence. He wasn't mad. He just had some honest questions. That little 95 thesis turned, opened the door and fanned the flame of an ember that had been burning for a hundred years. And out of that day launched the Reformation. And you and I are here today because some priest had a problem with buying forgiveness. Little thing turned into a big thing. Uh... December 16th, 1773. Maybe some of you remember that one. Sons of Liberty, between 30 and 130 men. They were really upset over a 2% tax on tea. You're sitting there going, 2%? I would give my left eye for 2%. (laughs) They went down and threw all the tea in the harbor, and it started a wave of liberty that became the nation you live in today. A little thing, just one little protest turned into something. Little things turn into big things, have a way of turning into big things. And that's what I want you to see in this verse. Because you think the big thing in the verse is a virgin conceives and has a son. You think that's the big thing. That's not the big thing. That's the spotlight to shine on the big thing. And the big thing is the last part of Matthew one twenty three, which says, and it'll be called Emmanuel, which is a prophecy out of the Old Testament. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's the miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas isn't a virgin having a child. The miracle of Christmas is that somehow God, who had been, who had been rejected, deeply offended, insulted, basically kicked out of mankind's life and rule at the Garden of Eden, somehow found a way back to mankind. That's the miracle of Matthew 1.23. Not the virgin birth, the presence of God among men. That's the miracle. Does that make sense? And so we have to, to, to be okay with what God's doing. We have to learn to see what God's doing, how he's doing it. And, and that's not easy. There are a lot of things happening in our world. There always have been lots of things happening in our world. There have always been governments, kings and queens, uh, high ruling ranking church officials and religious leaders and all those kind of things they've always excuse me been around and so they never know the government does not know what to do with jesus they just know they don't like him the government doesn't like any competition for the rule 
And so we, I want to introduce you back to Herod for a second. Matthew 2, 6. We jump in the middle of the story where the wise men have talked to Herod about trying to find the king of the Jews. And Herod was the king of the Jews, and he acted nice, but he was really angry. And so the Bible says in Matthew 2, 7, Herod called a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared and then he told them go to bethlehem and search carefully for the child and when you find him uh, come back and tell me so that i can go and worship him too sounds believable right you see there will always be kings of earth and the kings of earth will never rule as the king of heaven they will never live reign or submit to the way god does things you see because this is how god does things god doesn't just rule over people god loves people god doesn't rule just rule he loves and in fact god would argue the scriptures argue that if you're ever going to lead the only place you can lead from is from a place of love and service if you are yourself a leader in this community in your workplace as a christian you are called not to just rule over people but to love those people that you lead and so kings of earth don't get that. There's a story told about Queen Wilhelmina, who was a queen of the Netherlands before World War II. When she was uh, crowned as a princess, she stood before her mother and there were score, you know, just all kinds of people out at the coronation ceremony. And she looked at her mother and she said, Are all, do all these people belong to me? And her mother, the queen regent, responded to her and said, No, dear, you belong to them. That queen, during World War II, uh, got on the radio and literally rode her bike to towns in the Netherlands just to encourage her people during those hard times. She was a queen who understood that leaders love. That's something King Herod never understood. King Herod had a right to be king. He deserved your obedience and he did not care about your loyalty as long as you obeyed. That's how the kings of earth behave. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. I call men like Herod little men with a little power. They are the most dangerous things to society and to um, healthy uh, existence, its governments, and its, and its cultures. And so history is no stranger to tyrants. The Bible is the only record we have of this occurrence in Bethlehem of, of Herod's cruel treatment upon this small town of about 300 people. But the truth is, is that the great men of this world, like the King Herods, they're not that impressive. They don't offer much. They may possess power, but power in the hands of flawed men only magnifies their flaws. And so, there was a king, but there is a king. Isaiah 6.1 I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. 
The train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah 66, this is what the Lord says. Heaven's my throne. The earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts and who tremble at my word. That's the king of heaven. That's a king that's surrounded by love and admiration. That's the king that we need to wrap our minds around, that we need to spend time in passages like Isaiah 6, Isaiah 66, Revelation 4 and 5, Revelation 14, 21. Places where we can see our king and know that he far surpasses anything that this world has to offer. This is the one. You know, I, uh, it may surprise you, but in the grand scheme of things, even in Rock Springs, I'm personally not that important. No one calls me up and asks me stuff. Like, I've never had Senator Brasso or Loomis. Uh, Cheney, Cheney never called me one time. <laughs> not even an email to say like, hey Michael, what do you think? Never happened, you know? Uh, I bought the mayor coffee and he still didn't ask me my opinion on anything at all. Uh, I've sat down with, with county commissioners and like, hey, and they didn't care what I thought either. But, you know, I, I've bought a lot of coffee anyway, so that's a good thing. Anytime you can evangelize the world with coffee, then that's good, right? But I don't have an audience with the kings of earth, with political powers here. But I have an audience with the king of kings at any time that I desire. That's right. Any moment I need to walk into the throne room of the king of all of it, I am welcome and my father is, is excited that I would do so. So these kings of earth, they are what they are. But I'm a son, and you're a son or daughter of the king of heaven. And that must be remembered. Because men of earth will devise their plans against you and against the world and against the sons of God. And God help them when they do that things don't turn out well for them because I'm a son. You are a son or a daughter of the king. So we have a king, a real king, a powerful king, not a flawed king. And our king is different. And that's what we see, this God who, uh, this God who is among us, this God is, who is with us. This is what we see, a king who comes among us, not just to be king, but also a king who serves us. So I want you to look at a passage. I'll have it on the screen. It's in Luke chapter 4. Beautiful passage. And we're going to get a lot of encouragement from it. But this is another thing where God just doesn't do what you expect, but he does far more than you could ever dream. So in Luke chapter 4, verse, 16, verse 18, Jesus He's, he's just begun his public ministry, and he goes to synagogue on a Saturday, and they're, they're reading scriptures. It was a normal thing to do. Jesus is invited to read, which is considered an honor. And so he gets the scroll. He goes to this passage in Isaiah, and he reads this uh, that he, we're getting out of Luke 4.18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. 
and that the time of the Lord's favor, one, several translations read, the year of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus gets up. He reads this passage out of Isaiah that's well known. It's a messianic passage. It's about what he's going to do. He gets up and he reads it. And the Bible tells us in the next verse, he reads it and then he sits down. And all eyes are on him, which tells you that he doesn't just sit on a bench or on the floor, back down with the crowd. He sits in another place, likely the seat of Elijah or possibly the Messiah's chair. It's been called in other places. He sits down and all eyes are on them. He's read this amazing passage and you, you could hear a pin drop. And then he says, this scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this day as he sits there in Messiah's chair by the way or Elijah's chair depending on how the synagogue was set up he was sitting in a place as the Messiah and people are looking at him and did they get it not likely although they did try to stone him later so maybe they got some of it I don't know and so he reads this passage, and that's what I want you to look at. Is, is here's Jesus reading this amazing passage, describing his mission as the Messiah, describing what he is called to do. You see, uh, let me, I'm going to save like just a couple verses here. I want to just kind of look at what he tells them from that passage. First he says that I've come, as I fulfill this passage, I've come to bring good news to the poor. So here's Jesus saying, I've come to to evangelize or bring good news, to to tell the poor, the blind, the lame, the poverty-stricken, that they are blessed and that the kingdom is theirs. I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives. You've been pardoned. Your release papers are signed. You're free. What you were is over. Your enslavement is done. You were captured by sin, and now you are free. Then I came to preach recovering of sight to the blind. You were lost. You couldn't find your way. You had no possession. You couldn't even possess your own sight. And I give you a new sight. Recovering of sight. Paul says it's, we see by faith and not by physical sight. He gives them a new way to see. And then he goes on to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Or some translations say bruised. Life is hard. Sin has crushed you. Guilt has overwhelmed you. And I set you at liberty. I set you free. These are all things Jesus came to do. There's a story told about Brother Yoon, who was one of the lead evangelists and apostles of the Chinese church in the late 90s, through the 90s. He had been in prison several times, and he had been sentenced to life in a maximum security prison. He had escaped prison several times before, so to keep him from escaping prison in this maximum security Chinese prison, they would beat his legs every day or so to make sure he couldn't run. The story is told and verified by witnesses, by the way, in his book, The Heavenly Man, that God told him it was time for him to leave the prison. A maximum security Chinese prison. God says, time to walk out of here. He looks down and he goes, we got a problem. I can't even walk. But nevertheless, and this is the faith, of this is just basic faith of a Christian. God says, so we try. So God said, it's time to walk out. And so this this happened, documented story uh, with witnesses. He didn't even remember doing it, but he started trying to leave the prison, and apparently he got up and walked 
past the guards, past the gates, out the prison yard. Not a single guard saw him, and he literally walked out of a maximum security prison on legs that were too bruised and broken to walk the day before, walked out on his own, was healed in the process. That's a, a, a story that's only you know, 30 years old that, that happened to one of our brothers in another land. Why? Well, because that's part of the promise that the bruised are restored, that the captives are set free, that the blind will see. This is, this is I've kind of, I call it the full gospel. For some reason along the last 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 years of evangelism, we believe that the gospel only saves us for heaven, and we don't realize that the gospel is like the full meal deal. Do you remember the full meal deal from back there? It like saves us entirely. It covers everything. And so I just want you to know that Jesus stood up and he said, this is what I'm here to do. I'm a king who serves. I'm here to bring the year of the Lord's favor. I love this passage. I love this passage because this is my favorite part, by the way. So he talks about the recovering of sight and the restoring of the, the bound and all this stuff. And then he goes on and says, because the year of the Lord's favor has come. What's interesting about what Jesus read in Luke 4 is that he didn't finish the text. He stopped one line before the prophet did. So to get the, this, he says, okay, it's the year of the Lord's favor. What's that mean? Well, he's talking about a year of jubilee. Which I know you're like, some of you are like, I know what Jubilee is. And some of you are like, I what? It's okay. I'll help you. Jubilee was a year every 50 years. It started on the Day of Atonement. So on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer a sacrifice and he would symbolically cleanse the sins of a nation. And the next day, every 50 years, Jubilee would start. What's Jubilee? Jubilee is when land returned to its original family. Jubilee is when you went home. Jubilee was a homecoming. Jubilee was the year that if you were a slave, you were set free that year. You could only be purchased as a slave until a Jubilee year. All debts were forgiven on a Jubilee year. It was a year off. There was no planting, no harvesting. And it began with this big trumpet sound. Well, it was a shofar. Anyway, you know. You're like, Michael, that's the most impressive shofar sound I've ever heard. And some of you are going, I don't know what a shofar is, but that's the most impressive sound I've ever heard. <laughs> and then the year of Jubilee would begin. So here's Jesus standing saying, the year of the Lord's favor, favor, favor has come. The year. And then he didn't read the last verse. The last line of the prophecy is, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord's wrath. Now, before you get scared, think about this. The year of the Lord's favor, the day of the Lord's wrath. If you read your Bible, if you read the stories of the Old Testament that may scare you a little bit, what you will discover is that God is merciful. God is long-suffering and God is graceful. And yes, there are days of justice. 
There is the Tower of Babel. There's the exit from the Garden of Eden. There's the flood. There's the captivity that the nation of Israel went into Egypt. The captivity when they went back into Babylon. Yes, there were the days of God's justice. And that's what we focus on. We're like, oh man, God was mad that day. And we forget that there was a whole year before it. Where the father's like, I love you. Listen to me. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you. I'm pursuing you. I care about you. You're my favorite. There's a year of favor and a day of justice. That's the God we serve. Do you understand? And so here's Jesus going, the day has come, the day of the favor, the day of the freedom, the day of the homecoming, the day of the restoration, the day of the seeing. Is there a day of wrath? Yes, there is a day of justice that will come and it will be a day. It will be a day. And until that day, we will enjoy his favor and mercy and then the justice will come and then we will enjoy his favor and his mercy. Do you understand? We have a good God. There's some bad PR out there that tells you that God's out to get you, and that's not it at all. God's out to bless you. God's out to save you. God's out to restore you. That's a God. That's a king who saves, serves. And this, my friends, is how Jesus wants us to live. Jesus wants us to live as he lived. Someone who opens eyes and heals and helps and strengthens and serves. I believe in a form of leadership called servant leadership. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. I think that's the way to lead. I believe leaders should love and they should serve. And I think that's what Jesus taught us to do. If you would like to read that, you can check out Luke twenty-two, twenty-five. I know that's what Jesus wants from us. He's a king who serves, but he's also a king who saves. Jesus is a king who saves. And this is, this is what Christmas is about to me. It's about being saved. I know that's an old word. It's, uh, the older I get, the, realize, the more I realize that my vocabulary is getting old too. We used to, there was an expression in the church that I grew in, so-and-so was saved. They got saved last Sunday. They got saved at the evangelistic meeting or the camp. They were, they were saved. I miss that word. Why? Because I need saved. Yeah, when I was six years old, I went, my parents, uh, someone came to our house to share with them Jesus. They were saved. We started going to church. We got so saved, we started going to church. It was crazy. Yeah, I'm just kidding. And, and then I got involved in a children's ministry, and I learned about Jesus, and I was saved, and I have been needing to be saved ever since. You see, that's Matthew, I mean, Romans 10. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not, not just comforted. And there is a promise of comfort, but saved. And I love that. I love that our King came to save us. Because when you, when you need saved, you're at the end of yourself. When you need saved, you don't have any solutions. You don't have any answers. You don't have anything to give. You just need something that you can't get in your own energy, strength, or resources. That's why I love the word saved. 
We are too proud and too arrogant to think we don't need saved. If we think we can solve all our problems, fix all of our issues, address everything in our own strength and resources, we are deceived and proud. We need saved. We have a king who saves. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twelve. 12, I love really aggressive texts, by the way. I think Christians, Christianity is kind of violent, so I love this verse. Matthew eleven twelve, 12, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Lay hold of saved. Lay hold of saved. And if you're sitting there right now, well, I don't really need saved from anything right now. You're missing something. I have a song I like to sing. I walk around. It's not very encouraging, but I do it anyway just because it makes people laugh. If you're happy and you know it, you're missing key information. There's something you don't know and it's coming quick. I'll stop right there. It only goes downhill. You go like, Michael, you're so positive. Yes, yes, very positive. Something bad is right around the corner. Anyway, so um, we need saved, and what we need is we need to learn to press in to what God has for us. Do you hear me? That's where religion falls short. Going to church is good. There are a lot of habits and Christian disciplines that are good. I'm not saying that they're not good. It's just that they're not saving. They're not saving. And we need saved. And we have a king who saves. And that's what we need to press into. And the funny thing is, some of you are sitting here this morning, and you have been through enough in life that you know you need saved. And so you're like, okay, I got it. I'm pressing in. I need saved. I need my marriage, my kids, my parents, my situations, my job. I need salvation everywhere. I need a gospel that works and you, that, that has impact and truth in every corner of my life. I cannot just have a Sunday morning good news where I go to church and we go, cool, Jesus came, and then we go do nothing about it all week long. That doesn't work for me. That's not saved. That's religion. That's ritual. So we, we need something that we press into because... His name is Emmanuel, God with us. See, that's the miracle. The virgin birth was just to draw attention to it. I need God with me. I don't need a God I have to go find. I need a God that just needs me to turn around and look at him. A God that, that is always there, not just with me, because yes, the virgin birth put a spotlight on God with us. It was the tongues of fire in Acts 2 that put a spotlight on God in us. So every miracle you see and the things we celebrate, you need to remember that the big shiny thing that gets our attention is typically meant to draw us to something a little more subtle. And so that, my friends, is what Christmas is. That is, that is what we have to be okay with. God he doesn't do it the way you want. Because you have terrible ideas. He has good ones. 
So make room. Today is about making room for the king. The scripture reading of Advent that we had this morning was about the inn. Can you imagine how that innkeeper felt when they got, when the day come, they finally figured out they put God's son in a barn? Woo-hoo. Of course, that's not as bad as Joseph losing God's son, but that's another issue. So here's, here's my point. I think a lot of people put Jesus in a barn. I think out there, kind of, we kind of want a God who's out there. He's not so much meddling in our stuff. God with us meddles in our stuff. God in us knows all the stuff going on inside of here too. And so we, we kind of want Jesus out in the barn. I need saved, but I need my space. I want to be delivered from sin, but I'd like to stay in touch. I say get Jesus out of the barn. I say have a faith that gets as close to God as possible. Stop having a faith that's like, well, how much wrong can I do and it be okay? How far from God can I get and still go to heaven when I die? That's the question I'm asking, and that's the wrong question. The right question is, how close can I get? I want a God who's with me. I want a God who's within me. I, I, I want to press in. I want to be one of those, and this is me. I'm not just saying this is part of a sermon. It's like, I, I want to be one of those forceful men that lay hold of the kingdom. I want, I want to lay so hold on the kingdom that Jesus just drags me straight in. I'm reminded as I share that idea of there are these passages in the Old Testament where someone laid their hands and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. And there was, it was either a season of repentance or, or something bad was about to happen, but here's someone at the altar and they've got their hands on it and they're pleading with God. That's the kind of kingdom pursuit I want in my life. <coughs> Excuse me. Give your life to Him. Give your hopes and dreams to Jesus. Give your expectations to Jesus. That's how you get okay with a God who's with us, a God who's within us, and a God who doesn't do what we tell Him to do. But a God who so exceeds. So exceeds. He does more than you could dream. You can't dream up the... You cannot... Dream up how good God is and the goodness He has planned for you. You can't go far enough. You can't even think in those terms of possibilities and realms. So I say make room for the king. And I say not only make room for the king, I say become like him. Don't just be someone who's after that salvation, that's after that freedom, that's after God with us. Be someone who shares it too. That's how you know you truly possess something with freedom is when you're able to give it away. I heard someone say before church, we were having a conversation in which this fit into context, and so I'm just going to blurt out this line. He says, maybe... Maybe Jesus will come back this year. 
And I hear that a lot nowadays. Maybe Jesus will come back this year. And I have mixed feelings. I must confess, I have mixed feelings. I'm ready to go home. I'm telling you, Jesus says, Michael, and he won't even have to say you're out of here. I'm jumping. Like, I'm, if I hear the trumpet, I'm jumping. There. I'm, I'm going to be first. No, I won't be. There will be many people ahead of me. But I, I love that idea. But there's a caveat. I got friends. I got family. I, I, I love this community. I love the people in it. And a lot of them haven't met Jesus yet. Jesus isn't even on their radar. And, and, and sometimes you could argue, well, it's their own fault. They didn't go to church. Yeah, maybe. But sometimes people have been blinded by the lifestyle and the, the world they grew up in. And they haven't even had a fair shake yet. And, and to be honest with you, I, I'm not a controlling person. At least I try not to be. I, I don't. I mean, I would love for everyone to come to faith in Jesus, but all I really want you to do is to get a fair decision point. That's all I want. I want you to have good information at a good time so you can say, yes, Jesus, or no, Jesus. That's fair. That's fair. But just blindly barreling along through life thinking you know everything when you know nothing, and then one day you make an appointment with God, and you're like, what? I don't want that for anybody. So don't just press into the kingdom. Don't just lay your hands on it and let it drag you into God's life for you. Share it. Christmas is meant to be shared, right? We share gifts. We share meals. We share events. So that's, that's what Jesus wants for us. As sons and daughters of the king, we share dad share our father so i hope you're okay and i hope you're saved not just eternally i do want that for you but i'm telling you jesus saves from debt he saves from relational trial he saves from health crisis he saves from job problems he saves from legal problems Jesus just saves the issue at hand is irrelevant the reality is Jesus saves I love that I love that Jesus the Bible just says Jesus saves and he doesn't say for heaven from sin for redemption he just leaves it a blanket blank check I need saved. Jesus is your man. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that the best present of all is Jesus. I thank you that we get to take a season. We don't do it every year, but we have the last few. And just reflect upon the goodness of God, the gift of God to man, the gift of God within man. And I ask you, Lord, to help us today. I pray for anyone in this room that needs saved, and I don't care what it is they need saved from. I thank you that salvation is a blank check. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to ask for prayer and help when we need it. And so I ask, Lord, that anyone in this room that needs saved would be okay 
with you saving them, and that they'd be so compelled by it that they would pursue you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we can pray with you, there'll be some of us over here on my right, your left, as we sing these next two songs.